This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Fashion Is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hello, my name is Amanda Parks, and I am the Chief Innovation Officer of Future Tech Lab. What I love about innovation is the possibility for new materials in the world to change how we make, what we make, and the products that we consume. This episode is presented by luxury footwear brand Tamara Mellon. Right now, as a listener of Fashion Is Your Business, you can get a huge $100 off your first order from Tamara Mellon just by using code FIYB at checkout at www.tamaramelon.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A-M-E-L-L-O-N.com. And don't forget, use code FIYB for $100 off your first order. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location with Pavan Ball, Rob Sanchez, and Mark Rako. And now, here are your hosts. Uh, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the mic at South by Southwest. And what, what, we're better, right? Great we're to be better. catching up with all you guys. Yeah, Texas, Absolutely. new state. It's great. We've it's had a new you state on. to catch up with you. Yeah, a new exactly. state, new state <laughs> of mind, new state of being. Easier to see you here than at home, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. In a wow. literal new state. And uh, and what's great is even though we've had you on the mic before, Amanda, uh, so much has changed in your world and what you're working on in, so, in, in some ways and, and certainly where you're working. And we're looking forward to diving deeply into that. But before we do... A quick tip of the hat to our sitting guest host today, Mr. Rohan Deuskar, uh, the hey founder and CEO of Stylytics. Good to see you, man. Great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here at South by Southwest, two of our New York peeps here in Austin. And uh, hello to you, Mr. Pavan Oh, hey, Ball. thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody Great to be knows. here with you, Mark. Yeah, great to be here with <laughs> you, Pavan. All right, uh, Amanda, let's, uh, let's start here. Okay. Um, what brings you to South by Southwest? How does being here at this incredible uh, event uh, and, and sort of a hub of tech announcements and discovery and, and just, just ethos uh, connect with the things you're working on particularly now? Sure. So I'm here primarily to do a panel on fashion ethics and sustainability, which is, um, I think, a great topic for a panel because it crosses over. It's not specifically about tech, but it's about how tech affects um, the issues around sustainability and not just environmental sustainability, which is something I'm more focused on, but also labor and policy and work and all those things that affect fashion very, very deeply. Um, so that's later this afternoon. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I've been to South by many times before. It's been uh, a couple of years, though, that I think this is like, it didn't go the last two years because it overlapped with Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week in Moscow, which I've gone to quite a bit, which is a very, inter- was a very interesting fashion week, actually, the, the, um, and it could not be more different of an event than this. I mean, mm. literally, it's freezing <laughs> in couture, and yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that... I'm here for that, but of course, this is always a great place to see what's launching um, in the whole space of tech, which is my background. And um, and yeah, just to kind of uh, catch up with people, I, th- I think it's nice to see there's been a lot of talk so far that there, you know, the, the space of materials, which is something that I'm working in now, it has been kind of emerging in different ways as being addressed. Um, so like, for example, like I went to a workshop yesterday on future of space and kind of growing plants. And you know, so just kind of yeah. the expanse of our physical Wait, realm. Growing plants on for, space? In, or what space, are we? like ah. a workshop, like, you know, kind of looking at um, all the different ways that space is going to affect our, how we live. Right. And so it's just, just like that, that's just like, hey, here's one topic. And so anyways, but I, you know, I like to think a lot about bio- small problems. Just, yeah, exactly. But, that, you know, it's, it's showing this expanse of South by. Right. So sure. kind of, are so, mushrooms a big part of that conversation? Um, well, they weren't yesterday, but but yeah, I mean, mushrooms are always a big part of my conversation. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I, you know, we oh, my God, this is like full circle for you now, yeah. because the when we had first met, it was actually back in the day, open source fashion days when I had that freestyle fashion conference. Oh yeah! You had come uh, to educate with Dan Steingart. Oh, um, he was at Princeton best. at the time. Yeah. Is he still there? He still is. And so woven yeah. batteries and all that uh-huh. stuff in 2010. Yeah, I want to say. But I think what's what's interesting is like the space is moving quickly, but it's also 
not moving. It's also very slow. So with research at super high level, like Dan was working on with the fiber batteries, it's still in research state, right? Because these things take a really long time. I, I think about when, when a lot of the companies that we're interested in and involved with are you know, biotech, biofabrication, um, that are working much more on the time scale of a biotech company than anything related to a fashion company, right? So it'll take you know, seven years to get the technology to a state that's really sellable. Like if you look at a company like Bolt Threads, which does yeah. lab-grown spider silk. We actually have them on today oh, we're on. Oh, fantastic. We have Dan so, yeah, so we're, we're, oh, Another great, Dan. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, uh, and we're, we're invested in them. Okay. And uh, and yeah, so but they you know they've been at it for I think what it's over ten years now, and they finally just have you know a tie to sell right, and this is like this ongoing process of all the steps of going from researching the biology and then the scale up and then actually turning it into the fiber and then producing that at scale. I mean, it just is a really really long um, process to get to market. And so, in your role, are you sort of helping them along? Um, to kind of stay in the game for that long with yeah, funding so, or other things? Right. I think, yeah, it has to be, you, they, with, with companies and technologies like that, you have to have investors that understand that that's the realistic timeline on the project, that mm-hmm. you're, you're investing in something that is more like getting this a drug to a, market. This right. isn't then, five to seven hockey is, stick growth No, exactly. The, yeah, exactly. This is not a software turnaround. And mm-hmm. it's even, not even, um, it's even slower than a consumer electronic turnaround, right? It's even right. hardware. Um, it really is like there's a lot of basic research. So, so, so how Future Tech Lab works, um, there's like three basic parts of our company. Um, one of them is an investment arm. And um, basically, we look at the space inside of fashion tech that I think has often been um, overlooked or just underinvested in, which is the materials, the enabling technologies. Um, so it's everything from sustainable textiles, so looking at you know reclaimed and recycled textiles and materials, up through you know a lot of biofabrication um, uh, kinds of companies, and then we're sort of expanding into into the wearable space, but in very particular ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of it is physical technologies of various states. Now, you said there was three parts. I'm yeah, sorry. So, so, yeah, so no, the, good. Thank you for reminding me. No, I got you. On track. So that's the. I'm that's, just interested, the, yeah, Amanda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I'm waiting. I'm right, waiting. Right. So that's the investment part of the company. Um, and then we also have an agency which works like a kind of very specific kind of consulting agency where we help uh, big companies with you know, strategy around new materials, innovation, sustainability strategy, um, helping them with new product development. So whatever kind of big companies need, I think, you know, we like to think of it as sort of externalized R&D for fashion companies because they don't have internal R&D. And part of what we are trying to do is change their business culture to kind of think about how they should have that most, because all tech companies have their own internal R&D, or they own their own means to production in their product chain. Um, And so that, like, fashion companies aren't really developing their own tech. They're waiting for it to come from other places, from other companies, from startups, from the DuPonts you know, of the world. And they, they could really be a bigger game player in their whole material. We actually game. had DuPont on the show, on our yeah. materials yeah. show. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing stuff going on there. But yeah. there is a disconnect between the actual fashion brands. Mm-hmm. They aren't making it, their own textiles, and thus they aren't developing and, and like being active in procuring what they want for the future of fashion. So, um, anyway, so that's so that's the agency part, and then um, our third part is an experimental lab where we're doing uh, product development on what we think of as uh, like showcasing products. So, so sort of future fashion, future perfect products. Um, so, what the idea is to take on new technologies and develop them in very beautiful high fashion uh, garments to kind of show the fashion industry that you can make tech beautiful and and simple and and classic and that kind of thing. Um, you know, because a lot of what Silicon Valley has failed at doing <laughs> with wearables and how the fashion industry has been quite allergic to the wearables movement. So, um, and we're starting from you know using sustainable textiles um, in you know very simple p- passive type garments and then up through um, you know we'll we'll be working moving into tech. But this is all you know our company only started last May, so we're you know basically nine months old. So. It's Still, everything is still very new. We're getting getting set up. So, Amanda, uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, with all of the, re- I mean, there's always new things. There's always, yeah. gr- you know, new uh, lines being broken, new new discoveries being made. But it seems recently that a, a lot of the things that are happening, particularly in material sciences and and that end of innovation, there's just some really new groundbreaking things happening. So my question is, how much of that is discovery being made and brands responding to those discoveries versus brands having a need that isn't yet answered and people like you are being able to 
figure out a way to make those things happen? I'm sure it's both, but what would you say is the primary driving force? Um, It is definitely both. And I think the industry kind of doesn't know what it doesn't know. So I think it's the brands are kind of asking for like, okay, we want more sustainable materials, but they're not entirely sure what that means. And that's part of kind of what we're what we're trying to get across, right? And I think the biggest driver, what you're what you're mentioning is like I think that what is seeming like a kind of big material revolution, all this stuff that's starting to emerge, is the outgrowth of synthetic biology, the development over the last kind of 15 years, how rapidly that has advanced, and then the kinds of materials that can be biofabricated, which are mm-hmm. which is basically the the development from now how we now understand synthetic biology. Um, and so that's just starting to kind of come to be able to be marketable. Like I'm saying, it was like a very long scale development. Um, so, so I think that, you know, the startups are actually pushing more, like getting the materials out there and then the brands start to, to kind of see them and then they're, they're asking for them. But what, what really is the disconnect right now is, especially with big brands, you know, they need guaranteed tons of meters and they need absolute certainty that everything's going to be you know, perfectly, you know, delivered perfectly on time and and also be, you know, incredibly reliable, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're working with a startup, you're going to have bugs in your process. And so part of what we're trying to do is match up sort of realistic, you know, how much can they produce? What what can they be reliable on? um, And then make that kind of match with the right kinds of brands, um, you know, so as a strategic investor. You know. Do you think that you can uh, just very quickly uh, give a, a couple of examples, uh, use cases that would be on both sides of that scale? One where uh, discovery may be driving a brand use case and another where a discovery came as a result of a brand need? Yeah, I mean... I guess that's not really how I would sort of frame okay. what's going Reframe. on. If that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I do. So th- here's, a, here's a good sort of case study story that I think represents well. Um, and, and a lot of it can be also about localization. So we uh, invested in a company called Orange Fiber, which is an Italian company that's developed a really beautiful fabric. It's kind of a silky cotton from the waste product of making orange juice, so the orange peels, the inside kind of flesh. I love this already. Oh, this. Yeah. I'm so excited um, about this. And, and, it, and it came genuinely came from this, fa- the, this family. Um, they had, were like huge players in the orange juice industry in Italy. And this was their waste stream. And basically, somebody in their family tr- decided to turn it into this. So they got the, you know, kind of the technology up and running and, and that kind of thing. So that's obviously uh, the a use case of like, okay, there's a need to get rid of this waste, why don't we turn it into a resource, which is what a lot of the new kind of reclaimed material like movements are around. Um, and I think that that's, you know, and then we um, facilitated a, uh, a partnership, a collaboration with Ferragamo, which they launched a line of scarves this fall uh, together with Orange Fiber. It was super popular, totally sold out. Uh, you know, now they're having the excellent problem of needing to scale up really quickly and not, not being able to produce enough for all the demand they're getting, which is, which is a big a big issue um, with a lot of these companies. Um, but I think that that was, you know, it, it was also a, a great collaboration because Ferragamo is an Italian company, the story about Citrus and their country mm-hmm. and all this, it just, it, it very much worked as a branding story how as about, much how about, as... Uh, have you seen Evernew? Yeah, we're, we're invested in them. Are you really? Yeah. And, and they're, they're based where? Hawaii, right? Or... No, they're in uh, in Seattle. West oh, they're Coast. Seattle. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah. But Evernews phenomenal as well. Right, absolutely. And yeah, so let, let me. I'll just just yeah. describe briefly what they're doing. They're taking um, waste cotton, so you know, you uh, post-consumer uh, textiles, and, and actually they can separate out um, various kinds of textiles. They're fo- they're focused on. They have they have a tech. First of all, they have a technology for sorting down to the molecular yeah. level, so you know what's in each garment, and um, that's a really important part of the recycling. And then they they're focused on cotton, and they. Turn turn the cotton back into like a liquid basically through a, through process chemistry that's non-toxic um, and then re-spin it into a new fiber which is the ever new fiber which feels like a cotton like a silky cotton as it's sort of raw state but then they can mix that with anything so they're working on you know collaborations with big companies where you know denim and um, other like other kinds of t-shirt cotton so they can really structure exactly how they want that feel to be um, now how are you how are you supporting Evernew? so yeah so this is basically um, re, you know 
there's what we do, obviously, financial investment and sure. strategic. Well, first of all, you said account. nine months ago, you guys came out with a blast. I mean, yeah. it was what a fifty million dollar, or the target was fifty million. No, no, we have the uh, yeah, and and you crushed that. Like yeah, it went up two, three times. From, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's it's all it's all in the works. Um, yeah. that's where I'm like I can't don't know exactly what I can say right, right now. Right, but, right. No, that's but fine. no, we've absolutely I been. Said um, there, there, yeah. yeah, there was. I mean, it was, <laughs> fun started at fifty million dollars, and it's yeah been um, going strong mm-hmm. on that and. Um, yeah, and we were very quickly trying to just get involved with the brands that, that needed the money now. So, like so with Evernew, so, you're supporting them, obviously. Yeah, on, so we did some financial, financial, but side. then the other thing, they have this uh, this thing called an early adopter program where they work with brands. So this is a this is a very good example of how um, this the brands were, were looking for very particular kinds of textiles, like as, you know, have like you know, you want to make a sustainable version of a rayon, right? So for whatever whatever kind of um, specific you know, if it's like a, a sports company or athleisure, right? They want particularly like stuff for stretchy garments, et cetera. So working with Evernew um, very directly to have them develop a specific fabric that they would have exclusivity on for a particular amount of time or for a particular volume. Um, and we're, we're helping to, to work with them on this so that they, we can have the brands really guiding, getting exactly what they need from the textiles, um, giving them some sort of, if they were, if they're willing to kind of, um, take the risk of, you know, working on, you know, using a new tech textile, which will be like the first out there. They also then get the benefit of the exclusivity of it um, for a certain amount of time. Right. So that's how yeah. we get the brands to take that risk on. Just try right, to reach. Yeah. yeah. Because we, that's, that's what you need is like, like, like one great example of this working was Adidas and Parley for the ocean. Right. So they developed the ocean shoe, which mm-hmm. was, they were working with uh, reclaimed ocean plastics or so turning water bottles into thread. Adidas is trying a lot no, of stuff. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying is that Adidas, Adidas yeah. committed to getting this fiber into, you know, millions of pairs of shoes right away. And this is what allowed Parley to scale up their process. You know, they just committed to the manufacturing costs and the overhead and and saying that they would purchase it and get it through. It's crazy. We talked through, and I wish I knew which episode number, with John Werner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, he's he's driving a lot of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. that thought um, leadership within Adidas yeah, is incredible. And and so just, you know, that um that commitment to it is what got this got it really off the ground. And so if we can get the brands to do that in in some form or another, I mean Adidas has gone after it in just it's such an admirable holistic way for their whole brand. Um that th- this that's how we can kind of get um get the fibers like ever new into really into build real brands more quickly. So so we kind of so we work with them strategically and just help them with introductions and partnerships and generally also focusing on what we see the fashion industry needing, you know, just re- helping their research agenda. All right. So coming up, we're going to continue with Amanda and unpack the sustainability subject a little bit more right here on fashion is your business on location at the innovation lounge at max's wine dive south by southwest in austin texas we'll be right back hey it's me karen moon one of the hosts of another mouth media podcast beauty is your business It's a great show and a lot like Fashion Is Your Business, just focused on the beauty industry. You should check it out. You'll love it, I promise. Fashion and beauty have a lot in common. For example, a big part of beauty, well, it's obviously looking amazing and feeling luxurious from head to toe. So we talk a lot on our show about the head, like makeup and hair, but what about the toe? If you want to make sure your footwear is as beautiful as the rest of you, you need a little bit of Tamara Mellon in your life. Tamara co-founded Jimmy Choo in the 90s, and now she's launched her own namesake brand, which is handmade in Italy by family-owned factories and without the six-time retail markup. The best shoes for a better price direct to you. And let's be honest, who doesn't love great shoes? Get this. Right now, as one of the Fashion Is Your Business listeners, you can get a whopping $100 off your first order from Tamara Mellon just by using code FIYB at checkout at www.tamaramellon.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A-M-E-L-L-O-N.com. And don't forget, use code FIYB for $100 off your first order. You can follow Fashion Is Your Business on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available at fashionisyourbusiness.com and listen and subscribe wherever the best podcasts are found.
So Amanda, I'm really curious about what you think is uh, the discussion going on with some of these brands behind closed doors. Are they looking at this or these sorts of opportunities about sustainability? Is it about cost cutting? Is it about brand building? I'd love to hear more. Yeah, and I think that the whole question around sustainability and greenwashing is just so crucial. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, the, the media stories, the scandals about, okay, this brand's trying to be sustainable, but then, yeah, then... But, but they don't talk about the ones that aren't burning, trying, that aren't burning. doing shit. Yeah, but they're also... Like, but, then, but, then behind, but then behind closed doors, they're burning clothes. You know, right. There, right. There, there can be some, some really conflicting um, messages. Um, so generally, I mean, I really do try to stay positive, and I think that brands genuinely are reaching out for sustainable options. I mean, if you, okay, at its base, each company is made of individuals. And people want to do better for the world, right? And Absolutely. so it's like, it's sort of about Mostly. the organization Mostly. of the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. That's also <laughs> right. polarizing. I, I, exactly. Well, I, also, yeah, I want to believe that right. people who are in these positions, especially as the designers, that they do right. want to do better and they do want to have sustainable options and that it's sort of a, for the company to just get out of their way and let the individuals um, you know, make the, who can make those kinds of decisions like make the right decisions. So, so I think there is a genuine desire there. I think what it, when it comes down to like what differentiates brands from really doing it or not is when somebody at the top is convinced that it's crucial for the organization. Right. And that story can be, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not so uncynical to say that, look, it's a really good story for your brand to be doing things that are good for the world right now. It's very popular. So, you know, if they're smart, they do make it a, a marketing uh, tool which is fine. I mean, that's exactly. It is fine. I mean, that that right. And at the baseline, you still have to be making profit, right? This is. I mean, the, these are businesses, right? So I think um, part of the thing that that we we work on with our sustainability strategy and innovation strategy is to talk about how to keep that bottom line on profit, how they can do that, right? So I mean, part of it, if you think think about the entire supply chain or you know the whole the whole uh, manufacturing chain of making any garment, there's very like in most things except maybe luxury, there's very thin margins at every uh, for profit at every place. And that's what makes people so nervous. And the biggest issue is that, of course, new materials come at the very beginning of that supply chain. So yeah. once right. you start, that goes up, then everything else kind of starts to, to expand. And so we're, we're just trying to keep things to be very sensitive in that space. But, but if you can redevelop the whole supply chain and you save money in a different place, maybe you're using a slightly more expensive material, but you're not shipping it from somewhere so it's local. So you just all these like small things that if you have smart people inside the brand that can think holistically about the ecosystem and actually have the power to change it, because this is one of the issues with the big behemoth companies is no one person has has the power to kind of think through and change each step of the process. Yeah. And, um, and so that's why it can, it can seem like the, the holistic overhaul is just too hard. Right, like nobody has the power, and so that's that's where I think we're trying to to get organizations to kind of buy in from the top. It really does matter that the right. people at the top are very committed and they give their everybody on the team the ability to make those decisions. Do you think there's a price premium for products that are more sustainably sourced or with these new materials? Do you think that could be an argument? Well, well, she was just mentioning that since it starts at the base, it basically exponentially well, it <laughs> expands can. out. I mean, from yeah, but what I mean can, is, for a customer, would they be willing to pay more? So yeah, so and that's a big that's actually a big discussion. And and a lot of what happens is people uh, end up thinking that sustainable clothing is somehow elitist. There is that that no, I've I've had yeah. this kind of discussion of like like where people are like, "Yeah, well I want to do good, but I can't afford to pay like $300 for a t-shirt." Cuz there is, you know, there, like if you think about it, there's a lot of like boutique like eco boutique type stuff out there that's all sort of more in the handmade very small right, brand right mass production for yeah that. exactly that because those are the kinds of brands that are very committed to to getting the sustainable materials and doing everything ethically um, and it's just it's sort of the nature of those brands being small and how they work that those clothing is expensive there's nothing in that has to be inherently expensive about it it's just what we're seeing about you know when clothing is actually inexpensive especially fast fashion it's coming from a destructive place. Like, fast fashion should not be that cheap, right? right? There's someone's paying for it somewhere. And so that's, that's where the kind of difficulty is, is that, um, you know, you could use ethically made cotton, et cetera, right? But you just, so you have to, um, there has to be some commitment from 
the brand to, not, it's not that they need to take a, a hit necessarily, but as they kind of switch over into the supply chain and as the ramping up of the materials, things will get cheaper, but there might be an overhead issue at the beginning in the transition. And everybody's so nervous about messing with their supply chain. I think the whole fashion cycle of seasons when everything has to move so fast is really detrimental to this process because we're, we're looking at materials that may not be um, you know, ready for market a, a year from now, or, you know, and the brand is still planning, you know, has to be planning like two months out kind of thing. So I, I want to take it back to the actual lab now. Yeah, sure. So a lot of our listeners are interested on how they could get on your radar, how you're discovering companies, what types of investments are you making, what stage of, uh, of this yeah, company's sure. life cycle are you looking into them? Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think we're we're very much out there. You know, I'm constantly on the road scoping um, startups. And at, because we do have a pretty big, like, uh, media image. People know about us and are coming to us, obviously. Yeah. And I think that I saw you guys in we, Paper Magazine. Yeah, yeah. We're we, I mean, yeah. We're. T I mean, you know, our 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 founder was started in media, so it's yeah. kind of it's it's a natural progression that way. Um, and so so basically, I'm I'm on the road at conferences and, and tech events and all that kind of stuff. You know, in the scene very much. Um, and we have because our fund is actually quite unique. We naturally get the mm -hmm. right introduction. I feel like it's sort of self-filtering yeah. in a way because there's not very many people that are but committed are, to this space. But are there and venues and in, in opportunities that you that you find extremely valuable in terms of having a great concentrate of these types of innovations? So maybe that people that aren't on that scene can now participate yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, like the, my strategy is is also. Um, I'm trying to keep us like not just one step ahead, but like ten steps ahead. So yeah. I'm more active on like the lab circuit, the the university research, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm still going to you know academic conferences, and I'm very active with just staying um, you know in touch with my academic counterparts and everything through through that scene. And then knowing you know the, some of the best contexts of come from people saying, oh, this company is spinning yeah. off, right? So, mm -hmm. like, for example, there's a, a company at MIT that we're looking at. It's, it's an MIT spinoff called Are Poly you still with the Poly media Six. lab up there? Uh, yeah, I still have, like, a visiting scientist position there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of, you know, informally around mm -hmm. there. And, um, yeah, but, you know, so they, I got an intro from someone from a media... MIT friend, oh, they're spinning off this new material company that actually works on a bioplastic from orange peels. The other part of the orange peel, actually, the, the, the shiny other, orange part. It's the, a partnership made in yeah, heaven, right? Absolutely. I <laughs> know, uh, believe me, when this came, I was like, no way. Yeah, so yeah. anyways, but, but it's there, those kinds one, of things. There's one that we interviewed from Macadamia Nuts. Yes. So, they're the ones in Hawaii. Yes, and I'm forgetting absolutely. the name. No, no, and we're looking at them too. So they're making okay. activated carbon. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, as well. But uh, no, but I actually no, I've met with her. Um, well, Sarah, if you, yeah. Sarah, definitely. And if you yeah. if you uh, type in macadamia nuts yeah. in fashionisyourbusiness.com, you'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. So super interesting. Um, that's that's a little bit further off. So like, we're not quite there with that mm -hmm. investment. But um, yeah. So that's so there's no like one single way that we like track companies. But one of the other advantages that we have is that we have. Uh, team members all over the world. So, you know, we have uh, offices in Paris and Moscow, and then I'm in New York. We've got some people in London, uh, Milan, uh, Tel Aviv, mm -hmm. Dubai, Shenzhen, San Francisco. You got around. So, so yeah. yeah, so the point is that there's people on the ground in all these places. That are and super, in. super connected to the yeah. networks, right? So I'm pretty, I'm obviously connected to New York and Boston and San Francisco and some of Europe, but, you know, everything is about, like, kind of localization. I'm really also looking forward to, for the next year or so, we can expand more into, like, Africa and South America because there's so many amazing, especially material opportunities yeah. in those kinds of places that I think we haven't fully does, uh, unlocked that does potential Does the fund yet. prefer to lead rounds? Or no, does, it, so, does it have nothing no, to do we, with that? No, we tend to, um, I mean, there's there's no one single way that we operate. Um, we tend to invest in companies that are sort of seed or A. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, it's more of like, it matters sort of where you are. So, so it's kind of like when you're at the, when the companies are at the stage where they have a prototype, you know, they have a material that has been developed and has shown mm -hmm. the progress, and they're at like growth stage where they need help um, growing both Scaling. their manufacturing mm -hmm. and their customer base. Because how we come in strategically, if it's if it's too early and they don't need connections to fashion before they have any kind right. of product. There's nothing to really show the brands. Yeah, or... exactly. And so are we can be the most useful when they start needing those brand intros and they need those first customers. Um, so that's generally where we tend to come in and, and play a role, whatever that, you know. For some, it's funny because for some companies that's like after seven years. For other ones it's after one or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, so instead of being super defined by 
exactly what stage or amount or what role we play. It's really more about where is the company and what is the specific, like the, the, the niche. So anything that's in the niche will like, even if they're late stage or whatever, will be, we're, we're What are of, you most, most excited about today? Being a scientist. I yeah. mean, this is your playground. Yeah. So. I mean, I really am like generally excited about the whole future of biofabrication. I mean, this is a true revolution. Uh, you know, we talk about the fourth industrial revolution happening now, and this involves integrating biology into basically everything digital and physical, right? These, these biological processes are becoming Now, were part these processes just not possible prior, yes, well, or they so, weren't thought of? No, it's, it was basically, so you know the whole revolution around genetics and understanding the genome, right? So what, what it entails is, ta is understanding where in the DNA, so say for instance with spider silk, they can now sequence the, the you know the genome of a spider and understand which part of which genes actually are the ones that create the silk protein, right. and so what they do is extract those genes and then put them into a yeast cell, and so that yeast cell then produces the silk protein. That's like that's it's metabolizes that's its process. It's I'm shaking my head because I understand yeah. this, but yeah. it's insane. Yeah, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so and so right. So we didn't really know how to do any of this. You know, so like sort of year 2000, there was all that everything was totally changing in genetics, and it's just been rapidly accelerating from there. But this is what I was saying. This is a material outgrowth of those discoveries um, around DNA. And so now, if you think about it, I mean, this is so interestingly meta. There's a company um, uh, called uh, Oh my God, Ginkgo BioWorks, right in Boston. Now, you might not think that this is any, in any way related. They're an organism company. What, they actually make custom organisms to, to be able to grow things. So, How is that something that we even say? I know. No, no. I mean, th that, and they, like, they're like, they call themselves, so they're like a biodesign company. So, so in, but instead of some, you know, somebody designing a line for you, they're like, well, we're going to make you bacteria. bespoke materials. Exactly. So think about it for like scents, right? Yeah. They can, you can, you know, they splice something from a rose and then this, and then they put it into um, a, a, a bacteria that then grows that smell. Um, and so this is really the future. And then they sell that organism, and then the, you know you, the company will take that and then use that for production. So the lab, you know, that's how they scale a production. And and this is really the future of a lot of these biofabricated processes. Um, so you know, for example, there's literally like they're looking for all the colors. So they, what they, you know, for for example, there's a company called Peely and another one called Colorifics who are both working on synthetic biology for dyes and pigments, which is a huge yep. issue because they're very toxic, right? right. Um, the petrol, I mean, and, white t-shirt, so, so 300 right. gallons of water. Right? Yeah, and one right. thing I want to get across so that people understand, like, so there's regular synthetic dyes, which are petrochemical oil-based, which is the worst. Then natural dyes, which are better, but what people don't know so much about dyes is that there's so much um, resources that go into agriculture, the, the water, waste, yeah, space, the waste, yeah. everything. They're just getting this tiny pigment. Mm -hmm. So the synthetic, synthetically produced natural dyes, which is what you make um, with, with things like with using synthetic biology, they take the part of the plant that just you know, creates the yellow color and then put that into a microorganism and so then just grow just yellow. That out, yeah. So that's way more sustainable Ooh. in terms of resources. Even though it's made in a lab, people get, they're like, oh, but it must be better if something's natural. And I'm like, no, no, this Dude, is natural, this is but lab grown. So it's, it's kind of, it's this like, has to be a revolution in thinking as well. I mean, I at what scale you. can you do this though, right? Like, I Absolutely mean. Absolutely massive. Really? It's like, so, I mean, the, the final, um, there's a For huge, fast fashion. Huge, huge factory in, okay. um, it, that's part of Bolt Threads, right? They've been massively expanding. And basically the final room of their um, you know, production facility looks like a brewery. It's all giant fermenters. Because that's what, it's, it's, it's literally yeast growing silk protein. They could be producing beer instead, like, right? Right. It's exactly the same. And so, I love beer. Yeah, so, so you think about it. Well, how, how, like, how you can scale up to size of Anheuser-Busch, right? Sure. That's a silk right. factory. You could, that's what you can do, wow. right? So, so um, why is this not a bigger deal? I mean, we're sitting here wowed by all this info. And, and we're in the middle of these conversations right. all the time. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think it is a big deal. <laughs> no, is. but I think maybe from a consumer point of view, um, Everything but, the, that, but to Rohan's point, we're not just consumers. We're actually in these conversations oh, right. a lot of the times, but still don't understand yeah. the impact And until I asked you about it just now. Right. right. Well, I think, first of all, one, um, science, we have a, a problem in our culture with communicating science, mm -hmm. where it's like somehow it's become this thing that people think has to be really complicated and... Yeah, know, because you used to send, to your public. white papers are the worst. That's yeah. why. Well, no I one mean, could understand yeah, yeah, them except yeah. for other scientists. Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's all... <laughs> and not I mean, you I don't specifically get, yeah, when no, I say no, you no. are. I don't want to yeah. get into all the issues around publications and academia <laughs> sure, and all sure. this. That's a whole other... But, but it's more generally like scientists have not had it be part of their responsibility to be active communicators as mm -hmm. much as 
they probably should be. And also just our culture just doesn't value science in the right way or that, you know, and so there, so basically um, that's, a, that's a whole bigger issue, but also from the perspective because a lot of this is like raw material and in the back end, people aren't seeing, it's not like with like Apple, it's like, okay, here's the iPhone, the product, right? This is like, yeah. okay, well, do people really think or thinking about like, where are those plastic beads coming to make that case? Blah, blah. So it's, it's further down and hidden in the supply chain, a lot of these things. And I think that's why it's not quite as big of an issue. Um, but again, it is all really new and it is really complicated and it's slow. And, it, and so I, you know, I think that we're taking it on, you know, as fast as we kind of can. But I, that's one of the reasons why I do so much public speaking, um, because you know I'm really committed to communicating science in a way that people can understand. And and for sure, like Future Tech Lab is. I think this is actually I have yeah. a great story on this. Front. I, I couldn't be happier for yeah. you, by the way, right now of oh, where thanks. you are. Like, I mean, this makes knowing you for several yes. years now. It was yeah, the evolution this is of the like perfect job and the, the perfect, perfect yeah. spot for yeah. you. Um, so, so we had this big launch party in in Paris for our opening of the brand um, this fall, and uh, we had a we did a show at the Google Arts and Culture Space where we uh, basically showed a lot of these technologies um, uh, in very like beautiful kind of it was it was felt techy but it was beautiful amoebas. stylish it was <laughs> it was like super stylish like everything was presented in a very kind of clean, beautiful way that the fashion industry could appreciate. And we invited the whole fashion industry. Everybody showed up. It was an amazing mm. success. Even like dueling brands. You know, we had Montague Capulet type, you know, people on Montague You know, there's, there's, every fashion has its, you know, every, every, every industry sharks. Has, every industry has its Montague right. Capulet uh, feuds and they both showed up, which is a big deal. Um, but, but, the, but I spent the entire evening explaining and what was great is that there's like huge fashion players mm. listening to me talk about DNA Good. And, and all this stuff and they're like fascinated and, and again, they're like kind of acting like you. And Furiously like, scribbling notes. No, yeah. well, no, but I mean, they just were like, wow, we, yeah. how do we not know this, right? Right, yeah. And then a, a couple weeks later, so Diane von Furstenberg was one of the people there at the opening. And a couple weeks later, I was at a founder event where she was speaking and she's being interviewed and she started talking about DNA on stage. Okay. Like as this future thing. And I was like, Oh my God, it's working! Like mm -hmm. you know, it was just That's stunning. It, it just came right back to me. Good. And when you start, when people who are obviously you know big fashion figures and obviously non-technical start being able to kind of communicate this There's kind of stuff. There's that visceral excitement now. Yeah, about yeah. It. And people just like, okay, well, she can understand it, so can I. Like you know, it's just yeah. it's, it's just kind of knowledge, and we just need to kind of get our head around it a bit and put it into terms that like I. That's why I use the the whole analogy about brewing beer. Like people are comfortable with a lot of like food processes as opposed to lab. Like the lab thing seems scary, but making beer or making bread with yeast, like that's people understand. So it's just about making it kind of palatable without dumbing it down, right? For sure. Like I don't try to I use all the terms and I'm like, just Good. stay with me. Yeah. You know? how, how far, Amanda, does it go beyond being palatable and being trustable? And what I mean is is uh, how much of what is being innovated uh, particularly in new materials that are bioengineered and so forth, yeah. that people go, geez, I don't, I, I want to see how that takes shape. I want to make sure that it doesn't become something weird. Well, it doesn't mess up uh, my what, product. Yeah, I, uh, well, yeah. We, we, this is so new. We don't really know what the long-term repercussions of this are. We don't really know how it degrades over time. Or yeah. we, so, so, so how do you make sure that they're comfortable? That brands are comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Number one. Number two, that they're willing to take that jump and that risk on something that really has, it's like the first time LASIK surgery was used. It's right. like, you don't know what happens <laughs> yeah. in 60 years with this, yeah. you know, but for now it seems pretty cool. Uh, so a lot of people were scared to try it because it was untested yeah. in that way. So, so, and how does that relate to, let's say, liability, the balance between a brand taking on liability in new things? materials and, and, yeah. and technology that they're using that doesn't have that runway of testing over the long run in use uh, and making sure that they're still at the frontier of the next coolest thing. Yeah, so I don't have one kind of simple good answer to that. I mean, it is like the brands do have to take yeah. on a kind of you risk. Gotta do it, yeah. it's, like, it's something that is worth it. But I think, I think there's a couple of things that make a difference. So first of all, most clothing is not meant 
to last for seven years anyways, right? Sure. So you're kind of, I mean, not that I'm promoting fast fashion, but, you know, generally garments... There's plant depreciation. Yeah, right. And so this, just this notion that... that was, <laughs> Although my fiance is wearing the same clothes yeah. she did when she was 19. No, so. <laughs> I mean, I, be, I and I do have some stuff, but I, but I think, well, I'm, I'm thinking more from the expectation perspective. Like, if you had, a, you know, a jacket or something that started ripping after five years, you wouldn't be like, oh, this is a terrible product, right? Yeah. It, it just would be wear, right? I think that, I think that our expectations around textiles are not that they're going to last for a lifetime. There's a sense of disposability. Yeah, exactly. Which is so, and so in that way, it's there, you know, so, um, so a couple of different things can happen. Um, There, there is like these new materials go through uh, the same similar tests that would, that would be happening on their core. So like a a lab grown leather will have all the tests and certifications of a regular leather. And you let the brands do the tests on the materials themselves if they want to. So they do their own tests, right? So that's one way if you're talking like a really kind of from a technical place. Um, and then the other thing is it's just a risk assessment about, okay, they're committed to doing this. They love the brand story. So if something were to go wrong, I think what, what would be, and again, I'm not a communications expert, but this is kind of how I think about it. They benefited from the, from the story. So then they would continue that story to, into, okay, well, you know, this is what we don't know. We're, we're, we're being transparent. We're showing you that we're committed to, to being sustainable. And maybe if there's something that happens that the product isn't as good, okay, well, that's one of the, one of the risks that we took, right? And this is how we have to move together as a society to get to, you know, to support like products. I'm going to ask you a question that's literally just give me a number of years before this happens. Before 50% of most of the manufacturing in the garment industry is done in a new and sustainable way to your standard. Mm. How many years? 10. Not bad. I mean. Of the the global economy. Yeah, I mean. 50%, 50%, I don't know. It could be, I mean, the, the question is like, that's accelerated. Are we, I mean, that's are pretty, we ever going to get, I mean, we have to get there, but yeah, we, we have, have to, we have no choice actually. Well, and I think we brands do. are realizing I mean, that. Yeah. I mean, I think brands mm. are, but there's still going to be a lot of like, you know, I, I maybe I'm not as optimistic as like, we're going to get all the bad rayon out of there. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, right. it's, it's, it is going to take a while to, to penetrate, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with 10, but I like it <laughs> like my lifetime, but Not tomorrow. (laughs) All right. uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a quick round of Off the Grid questions. We'll be right back. Hey, all. This is Pavan. One thing that, of course, you know about the show is that we record with amazing founders and business leaders across um, fashion and retail and beauty and all those good things. I'm excited to let you know that we're actually heading out to Sydney uh, and quite soon this month. So July 25th and 26th, we're going to be joining the Nora Network and uh, we're going to be over at Online Retailer uh, in Sydney, Australia, recording with some of the business leaders there, some of the uh, innovative uh, startup founders. And we're, we're going to explore as much as we can and we're going to bring that to you. But if you are in Sydney, would love to connect with you. Uh, please email me directly if you'll be in the area. Pavan, that's P-A-V-A-N, at mouthmedianetwork.com. And then the following week on August 1st, we are partnering with IFAB, which is uh, led by Saskia Fairful. And on August 1st, we're going to be doing a Mouth Media Live, our first Mouth Media Live in Australia. So very excited about that. If you will be in the Melbourne area, uh, we highly encourage you to get involved. Uh, again, give me a shout. Or you can visit fashionisyourbusiness.com, and in the top right, you'll see a link to the event. We've been fortunate, of course, to capture stories from places like Copenhagen and San Fran and Vegas. And uh, now we're going to be out in Australia, and we're very excited. Hope to see you there. All right, here we are at South by Southwest. A lot of uh, innovative technologies going on here. And uh, what better innovative technology than our wheel of grid destiny? That's right, it's time for off the grid questions. I'm going to spin our wheel to figure out the order of the questions are asked. And the first question comes from, oh, it's me. Okay, so uh, my question, Amanda, is uh, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, electronics integrated with apparel these days, obviously, wearable yeah. tech. And uh, my question for you 
is what's the first thing that you remember in your lifetime for you that you started to integrate into your own fashion that had some aspect of technology even, even if it wasn't, you know, pure wearable tech. Like a cardigan button? Like a yeah. button shirt? The button was fashion tech I was going to say the zipper. So, I mean, everything yeah. is fashion tech. tech. Sure. Let's not, let's not get into that so, discussion about Jackard Looms. But, the, um, that, that was an, an early, <laughs> an early yeah. wearable tech. The honeycomb knit? Yeah. Um, the first thing that excited you that you adopted. It's, yeah, I know. It's funny because it's like I, I, have, I actually have so few wearable. Like I am kind yeah. of has, have been sort of – you got – We've talked about this before. I'm sort of down on the overall state of them. Yeah. But honestly, um, so I worked on the early phases of Ringley, which is a notification ring, and yeah, you know, sure. close mm-hmm. with Christina. Um, and honestly, that was the first product that really changed the way that, like, I had a behavioral change. And I was very much. How you looked at products. I craved the the functionality, like when we, you know, when she first told me about it and her idea, and then get working on it, et cetera, and actually using it and saying, okay, I do have this thing on my wrist that I can leave my phone there, and I have set it. I use it actively. You know, I use it to my cars here, the you know, the Ubers here, what, all these things, and it was it it was exactly what I needed. It's very simple functionality, but did have a behavioral state change for me. So I just think that, yeah. I think that there is a, an inherent paradox uh, when we talk about future of sustainable textiles and then also the fact that I have, have been actively involved in wearable tech, which is one of the greatest producers of electronic waste because they are such kind of disposable objects, even more than a kind of a phone is. Um, and so one of the things that I'm um, looking for, in the this is, this is much in the further future, but there is a resolution to this where the future of uh, biodegradable circuits, right? So circuits that are made of things like silk and magnesium and, and things that can be on the body, in the body, um, and are meant, are programmed to break down so that we can actually start to think about having disposable devices on purpose and this and also these are the materials that are actually much closer to textiles and much closer to the body so they make right. it makes the most sense to have them in wearables and in fashion in, in objects that are more on the disposable range right than something that's sort of wood or plastic um, so that's an area which I'm really excited about it's definitely in future future research re- reading the crazy lab papers that have you know titles like eight lines long uh, with lots of chemi- chemistry and that um, that that's where the, the industry is is uh, is really making strides but it is very hard for people to kind of c- contemplate what exactly what's going on in that space but that's where I want us to start pushing and doing product development and getting this stuff um, really into a workable material state. Another spin of the Wheel of Grid Destiny, and it comes to Rohan. Woohoo! I'm glad you're happy, Rohan. I'm always happy to be on the show. Um, So, you know, you're talking about these very patient timescales, (laughs) and you're doing this good work and trying to get the message out. So what gets you up in the morning? What what drives you to to think on those timescales? Um, I think generally, like, the startup founders really inspire me. I mean, because you're watching all this passion going on. And, and I, you know, I've been on the other side of startups and know, just knowing the struggle and the, the, these very long um, times. And I get to work with a lot of different ones. And even the conversation, like, when I'm meeting startups and we're having an initial phone call and telling me about their technology and the possibilities of all these things, um, it, it does make you feel better about the world. Any, anytime I get to talk about science, I just feel better about the world. <laughs> right. so, so spreadsheets do not get me up. But talking to passionate um, scientists certainly does. And a final spin of the wheel. I think it's my turn. And it is. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. I mean, you're you're a researcher. You're a scientist. I mean, these things take very, very concentrated and directive energy. What were some of the things or the earliest thing you could remember as a child that you were completely enamored and focused on? <laughs> um I had this blue car, this like metal, like old, you know, this was like a matchbox type of thing. No, 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 like a like a full like full size. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like the Flintstone stuff. Yeah, Flintstone thing, but it was actually metal. Like it was this was not. It was like the age before plastic. So like like ghetto Flintstones. No, but super cool. Like like now this thing would be like you know the the coolest vintage toy in the world. Yeah, right. But it had these metal pedals and. Mm and I remember I, I had this picture of myself, and I so vividly remember this, like, like wearing overalls and, like, fixing. I used to paint it all the time and fix things <laughs> and, like, you know, like, try to, like, this sort of this car mechanic fascination. So I think that was probably the, the closest. That's awesome. And I started as a mechanical engineer, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, at what age was that? Um, at what Ish. age was I doing that? Oh, like, five or six. That's awesome. You know? Yeah, yeah. Where's the car now? 
Um, I think my parents got rid at the of MoMA. it. Oh. No, I know, <laughs> I know. They moved, like my mom moved like yeah. when I was in college, and a lot of stuff vanquished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's uh, let's finish off with this, Amanda. Uh, give me a let's call it a twenty second final thought. Uh, it can be reflect on this interview, or talk about the work that you're doing, or even South by Southwest. Okay. Yeah, I think um, so. I think the most, one of the questions I get asked a lot is how can people get involved in sustainability? How, you know, how can they make the difference and make the choices? And I just always like to say, you know, you know get involved with your dollars, with your wallet, and, and choose, know what your products are made of and where they're made and, and choose them. And it's not that you, everything has to be entirely sustainable. It's just, I think, just the power of the information and, and knowing what you're buying and what you're supporting and, uh, and I, I know we're trying to get more information out to people, get transparency of brands and, you know, all, there's so much going on on the internet in this space. Um, so, so just try to, I don't like to blame consumers, but I just think that trying to meet us halfway and, and be aware um, of what you're buying is... So they have more power than they think. Or yeah, think. exactly, exactly. Right. And it doesn't, it's, you know, yes, it might be a little more expensive or whatever, but there, there is stuff that's, that's coming and, and it needs, it needs all the support from consumers that we can get. Well, since there's so much stuff coming, how can people connect with you and the work that you're doing to find out more from yeah. you and about how you play in the, a right. part in what is coming? Sure. Or the Future Tech Lab overall. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, our website, futuretechlabftlab.com. Um, you know, I'm LinkedIn, Amanda Parks with an ES. Um, Twitter, Amanda Parks as well. Um, and we also have Instagram accounts for Future Tech Lab, which we'll like do a lot of stuff on Instagram um, of you know focusing on our brands and stuff. And then generally, yes, I am in the media space like all the time at all the conferences and <laughs> that kind of thing. So I'm I'm on the circuit as much as I, as awesome. I can be. So. Well, Amanda Park, thank you so much for joining us at the Thanks Retail for Innovation Lounge. It's always fun. Have a great South by. Always a good time. Likewise. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. We'll okay. see you again soon. And uh, thanks so much to uh, Rohan Duyuskar from Stylytics for joining us on MikeSir. It was awesome. Thanks. All right. So that's it from South by Southwest with this episode of Fashion Is Your Business for Rohan Duyuskar. Till next time. And Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. This is your announcer, Peter Coleman. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.